0: Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that hopefully helps you get better at the crafts of teaching and preaching and communicating God's word while always hoping that our character, our integrity leads the way. Well, today I'm excited because a few years ago I was – preaching in Indianapolis. And before the talk, before the message, before kind of, you know, going through, run through, uh, we met in kind of the the pastor's quarters and a group of leaders, you know, women and men kind of came together in the circle to pray. And um, one of the two people I didn't recognize. And as like, we're like going around, like introducing ourselves and like, praying and talking, um, I realized that this young couple is being kind of interviewed for uh, the high school pastor position. And uh, we had kind of familiar uh, friends and uh, places that we had been. And I just, I just was like naturally drawn to the spirit of uh, this young couple. I don't know, maybe it's like you see yourself in someone or something like that. But I just, I I don't know. A few years ago, I just started following along and watching, um, this, this young communicator just grow in, uh, maturity and formation and just almost, uh, from afar, um, became a, uh, just a raving fan of Micah E. Davis. And, um, I'm excited because I've, I've actually never done this kind of podcast before, but today I want to introduce you to this, like, uh, just a force for, for goodness in the kingdom. Uh, but he's uh, like on the verge of planting a church in Indianapolis. It's called the Sanctuary. And I, I mean, I'm so curious. One – what it's like to plan a church to what's your first like sermon series that you do. Um, but more than anything, I just, I love learning, um, from people in all different spaces in the local church. And, um, you're going to be blessed because this is a young leader who is an emerging voice, who has, um, a depth, um, a heart, a spirit. Um, you just, you just, uh, you just want to follow this guy, you just want to be around him. You uh you just um he's just special, and it's like the great Henry Nowen phrase, you know, the, the Christ in me recognizes the Christ in him, and I just uh I always come away blessed. And so without further ado, let me introduce you, friends, to Micah E. Davis, the pastor of teaching and vision at the sanctuary church and author of a book that's about to drop called Trailblazers, which we'll talk about in a moment, but Micah. Thanks for joining me on the Crafting Character podcast.
1: Wow, man. That was a beautiful, beautiful introduction. And uh, this is a dream come true for me, man. I mean, you know that I love you and look up to you so much. And I remember the very first episode that you dropped of Crafting Character, was that May of 2020 maybe with John Mark?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Who's another hero of mine. And I was like, man one this podcast is amazing and two that would be a dream to to be on it one day and here we are so this is such a gift and thanks for having me on man
0: oh for sure man for sure well let's dive in because um you you know, you you're you about to start this uh plan and it's been fun you know watching it from afar you know you, you'll call we'll chat for a few and um just to kind of get updates but talk about kind of um the journey of planting a church where is it meeting like kind of how like this whole thing kind kind of came to be
1: yeah absolutely so may of 2022 i was prayer walking around my neighborhood um i live inside the loop of indianapolis um 465 is the loop that goes around the city so i'm on the northwest corner um, inside the loop. And my wife and I moved down here in August of 2020. And at the time, I was a high school pastor at Omega Church in the suburbs and just started feeling a dissonance between the people that I was pastoring and the people that I was living around. And so there's a one-mile loop inside my neighborhood that I walk almost every single day. And I remember just walking. It was, a, it was an ordinary day. I don't remember what day of the week it was, but just feeling the Holy Spirit impress upon me, pastor your neighborhood and i was like oh man i i don't i don't know what that means um and so i sat with it for about a week and i just could not shake this phrase pastor your neighborhood so i called up the pastor on the corner of the church or on the who pastors the church on the corner of my neighborhood and we had never talked before and i just said hey can we go grab lunch and so we went to super tacos together and uh, we sat down and i just said hey i think god may be calling me to pastor, my neighborhood, if we were to plant a church, would you be open to me using your building? And he was like, yeah, I don't see why not. And I was like, oh, shoot, strike one, right? (laughs) And so I didn't tell my wife Riley about that conversation. And so a couple days later, we were prayer walking together around the neighborhood. And I just said, hey, I had a conversation with Pastor Oscar um, at the church on the corner. And told her about the whole conversation. I said, what would you think about us planting a church here in Indianapolis? And at that point, we were almost five years in a marriage and she had been vehemently against ever planting a church, as had I. Like It was not something we wanted to do at all. And she just said, yeah, I don't see why not. And I was like, strike two. And so that sent us on this long journey of discernment and trying to figure out uh, where we were being called to, to plant, if that was something that God was calling us to do. And it was actually Riley who uh, came to me and just said, I I really feel like the city of Indianapolis is where we need to be. I think we need to plant in the city. And I said, okay. And so we went through um, a whole discernment process and were affirmed in that call. And then over the last nine months, well, really 12 months now – We've been on this journey of of planting and building a team and trying to figure out where we're going to meet. And the whole story of where we're meeting now is miraculous in and of itself. We got 24 no's on buildings. Um, we are planting in Broad Ripple, which is this kind of cultural epicenter on Indies north side. There's just amazing food and art and live music and um It's a beautiful place, but it is a church desert. There's not a lot of thriving churches um, in this particular area. In fact, among pastors in the city of Indianapolis, people told us before we went to go plant here that it's the place that church plants go to die, which is not what you want to hear when you're going to plant a church. But God opened up the doors, and we're now planting in the Indianapolis Arts Center, which is just this beautiful building right in the middle of downtown Broad Ripple. Um, And after 24 no's, God gave us the yes that he wanted to give us all along and we are just thrilled to be there.
0: Man, I love it. And the building is awesome. I mean, like even like kid space that you guys have done. And um, what I appreciate too, is it It really feels like with the sanctuary that um, you, you're a really gifted communicator. I, lo- I love listening to you teach, um, you know, and, but I feel like some of the ways that spiritual formation has like, just captured you over the years to even like hear that whisper, you know, pastor your neighborhood. Um there there's the sense of you have all of this like ambition and energy and just like convening power and depth and skill. And yet it feels like man the the team at which you have built. And, um, it's like, you're, you're like grounding it in kind of like more formation and more parish model and like neighborhood. Talk about that because I I imagine there is a little bit of probably you go through a discernment process and I imagine like church planning organizations were like, oh my goodness, this guy, like this guy, this gifting, oh my goodness. But it seems like you have carved out, hey, here's here's what we're sensing what Broad Ripple needs in this church desert, you know, in this, this season. Um, talk about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, really, when we were going through the discernment process, there's no one right way to plant a church. And I think that's the beautiful part of church planting and really just the capital C church in general. I'm just a huge fan of the local church. And part of the unexpected beauty of going on this church planting journey is just the friends that I've made around the country who are planting churches as well and all different expressions and all different sizes and, um, contextual to where they're planting, which I think is amazing. But I think for us from the very beginning, uh, we're planting in a more, uh, progressive post-Christian context, a lot of cynicism and skepticism towards the church. Um, Specifically, a lot of people who have grown up in church but have deconstructed or dropped out of the church. And those are the people that we're trying to reach. And so to just plant a church where the flashing lights and the smoke and mirrors is happening and it looks like a show, people can go get that at the 17 live music venues around our city Friday or Saturday. And so for us, we've been trying to figure out what does it look like to become a set apart people, a particular people in this particular place for this particular cultural moment. And for us, that looks like being a distinctive church um, and setting ourselves apart. And so Really, that's formed around practicing the way of Jesus, participating in community and permeating the world. That's our mission. And we believe that if we can cultivate a community that's doing those three things of formation, communion, and mission, that we'll see Indianapolis as it is in heaven, which is our vision. And so, um, yeah, man, I, I think... When it comes to spiritual formation, I think people, specifically people who have grown up in the church and Gen Z, which is uh, who myself and my co-planter, were both Gen Z church planters. As we're trying to reach our generation, there's a level of restlessness around, I don't need more information, I need transformation. And so what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus that's actually going to transform my life? And we see spiritual formation as the key ingredient to that, And so we've come up with a whole formation cycle of what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus, what we call life at the sanctuary, what it looks like to live life at the sanctuary together. And we've intentionally named it a cycle because uh, following Jesus, it, we believe, is cyclical. And it's not this linear progression where you start out here and by the end of your life you're here, but it's this almost this downward spiral of depth that as you uh, discover union and intimacy with God, you end up becoming more
0: like Jesus as you do what he did. I love that. And I, I'm curious, like, you know, as a, as this like emerging leader, you know, this is the first church plant you've ever planted. You read a bunch, you know, you grew up, your parents were pastors. So you've been around the church for a while. You love the local church. You're part of this like Gen Z kind of like, you know, you, you, you talk about this sense of not more information, but more transformation. How do you distill down like, we are going to build around these values. When there's probably like so much stuff that you have seen that you love, that's worked. That how did you? How did you and your team go? Yeah, practice the way, participate in community, permeate the world. How did you distill down to this is the cycle? Um, because I'm sure there's so much that you could be pulling for- from. But it feels like a discernment process that you all have gone through to really get to something that I think is is, is unique for a lot of church plants today, but to, to really work at that and also fight against the temptation of, well, we could do this and then we could add this and we could just, you know, you, you end up like, we, we want to make sure we're doing this and we, let's add this to the cycle. How did you guys fight to distill it all down to those values?
1: Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. There are so many things we could do, and there's probably a lot of things that we could do um, well, but maybe not a lot of things that we could do great. And so I think there's a couple of things. I think Joshua Becker wrote a book called The More of Less, and I have that title in my mind, and I've had that title in my mind when uh, kind of crafting the vision and mission of the church that Um, we can do more with less. That if we can just hone in on specifically who God has called us in our specific community to be in Indianapolis, we don't have to try to be like that church down the street or the mega church with a lot of resources or the church in the city center who's serving a really under-resourced neighborhood. Like Those are all different contexts that need different churches to serve them in different ways. And so instead of Comparing, what does it look like to just distinguish ourselves as this is who we're going to be? Um, And so I think from the beginning, we've just set out to say the local church is a gift and there are many local churches doing many different things well. What's going to set us apart? And so, yeah, I think when it came to deciding what it was going to be that we were going to be about. Formation was at the top of the list of what does it look like to actually be a community that is specifically trying to go after practicing the way of Jesus, of actually doing what Jesus did. And so a lot of our teaching is rooted in uh, is practice based that we try to give our people resources um, to be able to, to live out their faith Monday through Saturday, not just attend church on a Sunday. Um, when it comes to participating in community, we have gone after this thought of what would it look like for uh, a revival of gospel hospitality to take place in our city. And so our hope and our goal is to form and fashion what we call sanctuary circles and neighborhoods all over the city. Indianapolis is a neighborhood-based city. So contextually speaking, for us, it makes sense to try to form and fashion communities in the distinct, there's a hundred distinct neighborhoods inside the Loop of Indianapolis. And so for us, it we're asking the question, what does it look like to form in fashion communities that are gathering around the table in each of those neighborhoods all over the city? That's what we would anticipate seeing as a revival of gospel hospitality. And then when it comes to permeating the world, what does it look like to be a people on mission, people of mercy and justice? Um, Our specific zip code is the second most diverse zip code in the state of Indiana, and there are uh, 89 countries represented at our local high school. There's just a a plethora of different worldviews and backgrounds and upbringings represented in our community. And so extending the invitation to say, hey, why don't you come to church on Sunday? That's not even going to resonate with a lot of people because they haven't even grown up in church. Their home country, it was illegal to be a Christian, right? And so we just said, what does it look like to break down the cultural barrier by just being servants, people who love through acts of mercy and justice? And so a lot of what we distilled down to what we wanted to go after was contextual around where we're planting and and what we're trying to do. And, And then just a specific response to what we're hearing from people our age and people that are coming of age right now in Gen Z of this is what
0: I hope uh, I can be a part of in a local church. Yeah, I love that. You know, and I, I think too, one of the the keys to being a great communicator is that art of elimination, you know, um, because you're constantly every week having to distill down, um, is this quote necessary? Is this like breakdown of the context necessary to where the talk is going? And I realize sometimes when I go to to different churches or I sit with different leaders or I listen to people preach, you you can kind of see sometimes in the leadership, the struggle to distill down. And also sometimes that comes out, I would say a lot of the times in people's preaching where I'm like, you added that, but I don't think that actually served the arc of the teach or the actual spirit of where that talk was going. It's fascinating, but was it helpful to that? Where did you learn kind of that art of elimination? Because you do a great job with that even in your teaching. Like I, I love listening to you and some of the stuff I've I've seen you do, even with high school students. But I feel like you're constantly fighting for um what's at the essence? What's at the what's at the heart? What's the what's like the soul level of the of this teach? Where where did you learn that?
1: Yeah, I mean I think a couple different voices and heroes in my life um, that I've looked up to for a long time have had a profound influence on that specific aspect of my teaching and my teaching prep. I would say the first person that comes to mind is Pete Scazzaro and just his theology around limit limits, right? That we can't be everything to everyone. And so I've just applied that to my teaching that I'm not going to be able to hit on everything at all times in a 40-minute teach. Um, but what is What is the thing that I can really go after um, in this teaching? Um, So yeah, I think Pete's been super helpful there. I think when it comes to cultural contextualization, John Mark Comer and John Tyson have been huge influences in my life of what it looks like, both planted in city centers and uh, preaching to very similar groups of people. And so the way that they're able to take cultural commentary and feed that through the lens of scripture and then turn that into practical application. I mean, they're masters at it, right? So I've taken a lot from them. And then honestly, I think I've learned a lot from you and with respect to the tension of a teaching. For me, when I'm uh, putting together a teach, everything revolves around the hook of the teach. um, So that 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 ache right you you call it a, a holy ache right like just the what's the thing beneath the thing to use your your book language um and I'm trying to get at that and so the way that I describe it when I'm coaching other people on uh, how to craft a message is I liken the tension to a balloon and I want to blow that balloon so big that people are just like, oh my gosh, when is this going to pop? Right. And when I get to that point, that's when the pop is then the hook. Right. And I feel like if you've got people locked in at that point, then you've got them from there. And so at that point, um, I'm trying to feed everything through that hook into the scriptures, into the application, into the inspiration from there on out. But really, I spend a lot of time in prep, um, I try to write ahead. Um I think John Mark says this that a lot of people rely on the spirit the week of, but it that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't work ten days out or or two yeah. weeks out or two months out. And so, um I start my research and my prep uh, a few weeks out ahead of time, and i I try to be ahead so that when I get to the week of, I'm really just honing in on how do I make this message as clean and as sharp as possible?
0: yeah, well, i I love that because, you know, you're this 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 podcast is dropping, you know, October 10th and you know, I think about, you know, you're you're kind of at this point, September 17th is like a a kind of a preview service, September 24th is, you know, your first gathering. And then, you know, you start October 1st with a brand new series. And I, I that that's kind of been like what has fascinated me about, you know, when someone's like starting a church, I'm always like okay, what's the series? What are they going to do? Like, you know, I get the vision Sunday. I get like the preview Sunday. We're making sure all the setup, up, tear down, enough stuff in the kids. Like we, I get all that. Let's go to week two. And you now are like, you got the people who like, who showed up and you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and like every, all the, all the friends. But week two, it's like people who are like, yeah, I think I'm going to give this a go. I think I'm going to try this out. Where are you taking that? Where, you, where What's the, what's the sermon series? What's the sermon idea? Week two launch of the sanctuary indie.
1: You know, I've had a lot of time to think about what the first teaching series is going to be, and really, when I was putting it together, um, it did not go where I originally wanted it to go. I mm. genuinely, I wanted to give just a stereotypical kind of vanilla vision mission teaching series, right? Like, Hey, this is who we are. This is our vision. And this is how we live it out. Um, Practice, participate, permeate. And then we're off into the wind and off into the races. And I felt like when I was starting to put it together, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering to me, um, go deeper. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. And so there's kind of this secondary tagline that we use as more internal language. You won't see this on external language, but I've already said it before. What does it look like to become a particular people in this particular place, in this particular cultural moment? And so the, the first teaching series is entitled This Cultural Moment and answering those questions and trying to flush those out. So week two, um, we're recording this after I've already given the teaching so I can I can let you know. I can let you in on the hook, yes. um, but my my hook for that message is could consecration be the mark of an authentic follower of Jesus in our cultural moment? Mm. And so really it's an invitation to our people. Like you said, grandma and grandpa are gone. The, you know, pizzazz and excitement of launch Sunday is has worn off in some ways. And the people who are back for week two are people who are like, I'm I'm genuinely interested in making the sanctuary my home. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, what does it look like to be and become a particular people right now? And I think consecration is the invitation to becoming those kinds of people. And so... Um, I go into this whole exposition on what is consecration, what is holiness, where does it come from, and then what does it look like to actually be and become those types of of people, and really just extending an invitation to say, hey, if this is the the church home that you want to be a part of, this is what we're going after: of learning what it looks like to be and become a remnant of followers of Jesus in a in an environment that is not particularly open or excited about a new church being planted here. But how do we turn that around? By becoming a distinctive people, by becoming a people um, of holiness, by becoming a people of joy, of love, of peace, and letting people see that uh, they they will know that we are followers of Jesus by how we love one another. And what would it look like for the ethos of our church to be rooted in that? talk about consecration
0: you know I mean I I think there there are there are words that um held us like a a sense of weightiness you know for generations and then I don't know if it if um and no shade on another generation or or some but I think like sometimes these words almost get put on the shelf and like a a new word almost kind of like steps in and takes and then it's like, oh my goodness like we I don't know. I think we like skipped a couple generations when it comes to words like sanctification or consecration or holiness. Now there's some traditions that like are re have really like doubled down on some of those words, but I think like for a lot of us in, you know, who grew up in the eighties and nineties and two thousands, I don't think we heard those words very often. And if we did, it was read really quickly and we we were focusing on another part of the verse. So when you say the word consecration, you know, week two <laughs> launching um to be this kind of like particular people in this unique cultural moment. What what do you mean?
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm pulling. Uh, consecration from numbers chapter six which is where the Nazarite vow is written about um, and a Nazarite is a consecrated person the the root word in Hebrew is literally the word Nazar um, it literally means to be separate or to be set apart for sacred purposes and it was a term that was often used for Jewish priests so they would Nazar themselves to the Lord right that's what a Nazarite was they would uh, a person who was wholly set apart um, in devotion and commitment to God's love God's law and god's lifestyle and so these were people who were supposed to be an example they were supposed to be spiritual leaders for the israelite people but what a lot of people don't know is that over time the people as well maybe as people who have read the scriptures know but the, the israelites began to drift right and eventually they turned away from god altogether And one lexicon i was reading said this uh quote in prophetic literature the verb Nazar indicates Israel's deliberate separation from Jehovah to dedication of foreign gods or idols. So to Nazar in the time of the prophets was to actually be separated from God and devoted to some sort of stronghold, be it a thing or an ideal or a person. So when you look at that contextually in our modern moment, what does that look like? Well, there are tons of people who are nazard to many different things, right? You think about the guy who has spent everything he owns at slot machines on the Vegas Strip. He has nazard or devoted himself to money. It's the woman who sneaks a flask uh, to her desk every day at work before coming home and emptying a fridge full of beer. She has nazard herself to alcohol. It's the man who has killed a multitude of people, what we call a serial killer, right? He has nazard himself to violence and murder. So I just try to show people. People that, uh, in some way, shape, or form, we are all nazaring ourselves. We are all setting ourselves apart for something to someone. Um, and so, what does it look like to repent, to turn around, and to go a different direction, and to consecrate ourselves, to set ourselves apart fully for the Lord? And so, the invitation that I give to our people is simply this: What neutral thing are you indulging in that, if you gave it up today, would raise eyebrows? And how could that be a prophetic witness to the people around us to distinguish ourselves as set apart? We don't have to be walking around with, um, you know, Bible verse bumper stickers on our cars or on our t-shirt or uh, any other evangelistic form that we've tried to throw out over the last 20 years. No shade against that. But could it actually be a little more subtle, right? Um, And what would it look like for our lives to actually mirror and exemplify what it looks like to follow Jesus in this
0: particular cultural moment? Ah, it's beautiful. I love that. I think it's, I think it's a really, really powerful piece. And I think you're right. You know, I think, um, I think we're all being shaped and formed and discipled. It's just to what and to whom, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a mutual friend, uh, Carlos Whitaker, he, you know, we did some cohort stuff together, uh, with some friends in the 1010 project and he wakes up every morning and, and he, uh, he like has this like prayer. And he prays each day. And it's like, I consecrate this day for the Lord. Like, it's, it's like, it's just a simple, like little prayer. Like, and I was like, man, that's like every day. And he's like, yeah, that's like, I just, I, I have this sense of like, I know I can attach myself to X, Y, Z, whatever, but it's, it's this simple like focus. And I think it's an awesome challenge for week two is like, Hey, you know, and you think about even like they're reclaiming that gospel hospitality, you know, and like these little, these little ways at which, you know, people can, yeah, um, really nazar themselves to the right stuff. So what about week two? Where do you go from, from consecrate? Where do you have the idea where you're going for the next one?
1: Yeah, honestly, I, I'm, really excited about, um, it'll actually be weeks three and four of the, of the teaching series, um, launch Sunday will, will be week one. But after that, I move into this particular place and particular moment piece. And so I've spent a lot of time, you know, part of the gift of church planting is, um, the whole time we've been fundraising. I haven't been leading a church or pastoring a church or having to teach every single Sunday. So I've had a lot of time, um, to pray and to walk, and to pray. And uh, that was actually something that Tyson uh, shared with me about it a, a year ago. I just asked him, hey, give me some advice on on what I should be spending this time doing. And he was like, oh, mate, you need to pray. And uh, you need to go prayer walk your city, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. And so really, yeah, for the last like nine, 10 months, I've just been prayer walking, broad ripple, and what that's done is it's allowed me to be in the streets, but, but also on the rooftops, uh, metaphorically speaking, of the city to just kind of get a feel for what, what are the aches of our city and how can the gospel penetrate um, the aches of our city. And so in week three, talking about a particular place, I kind of do some some cultural Uh, commentary on the city of Indianapolis, and I pull out these five marks of Indianapolis of just fractures that I've seen in our city. So the first one is transients. Indianapolis is a super transient city, specifically within, like inside the loop. There's, um, I think it's over a 50, yeah, 59% outbound rate um, in 2023. Uh, So one of the most transient cities in America. The second one's division. Uh, There's just a ton of division in our city, not just ethnically, but um, Private school versus public school, specifically where we're planting. There's a huge divide there, just a long history of division. The third one is political polarization. So Indianapolis is a blue city, but Indiana is a red state with a red government. So there's a lot of tension there, uh, politically speaking. The fourth one is tribalism. Um, so we, we are affectionately known. Uh, In Indiana for having Hoosier hospitality, but that can typically be cloaked in a selective acceptance of particular persons based on whatever you want to, you know, name it. Um, And then the last one is violence. A lot of people don't realize that Indianapolis has a, um, just a a huge history of violence. And uh, unfortunately, Indianapolis has seen at least 200 homicides occur annually for the last three years in our city. And so in that teach, I then kind of filter those, um, aspects of our city through the lens of scripture. And what does Jesus have to say about the power of place? What does Jesus have to say about rooting yourself in a place for the good of the city? Um, and what is our invitation from there? And so part three of that teaches then five, Countercultural marks of a follower of Jesus in Indianapolis. So we're people of stability in a city of transience. We're people of unity in a city of division. We're people of disruption in a city of disrespect. We are people of presence, welcoming people to our table in a city of tribalism. And then finally, we're a people of love in a city of violence. And so um, it's just again kind of taking the city and and naming reality for our people, and then saying, okay, now what does it look like to actually live within these baram- parameters now that we know them instead of uh, throwing it out in piastic ignorance. What does it look like to actually just head on live in the city, but be distinct from the city?
0: Yeah, I love that. That's so great, man. I think that's a, man, what a, what a gift because again, just uh, helping people see with kingdom eyes, you know, and um, what it might look like if heaven were to invade Indy, you know, in such a beautiful way. Right. So I love that. Um, what of uh, my mentor is Don Golden years ago he used to say like the questions you got to ask yourself is is who is Jesus? Why did he come to town? And what's he inviting you into? You know and it's just like your your understanding of Jesus um and the kingdom and you're you're recon- being able to recognize like what's he up to and what's he inviting you into and I just feel like man to for you to name those five man that's just that's so beautiful. Michael you know what's interesting too is I don't know I don't know anybody, you know, I've, I've had the privilege to interview a bunch of people on the podcast, you know, been in different churches and talking to different people. I don't know any church planter who plants a church in September and drops a book the next month. Um, it, the book's you know, it's beautifully titled Trailblazers. Like I loved it. It was fantastic. We'll talk about that in a moment, but like, was that on, that wasn't on design, was it?
1: No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. (laughs) The book book came into being like a year before the sanctuary was even on our radar, you know? So um, that has been something I've had to reckon with. Obviously when Tyndale. Originally, we were going to release the book in March of 2024. And then during the editing process, they were like, hey, we feel really good about this. We actually want to move it up six months. What do you think about that? And I'm like, well, just so you guys know, I'm planting a church three weeks before that. So as long as you guys are good with it, I'm good with it. And they're like, let's go. And so, um, yeah, it was not planned at all. But I do believe that there's some divine timing here of just this This labor of love that I've worked on for the last two years of my life being released um, and coinciding with the trail that God has literally called me to blaze. And I've shared this with many people, but um, this is not a book written to you, the reader. This is a book written for us as human beings. And I am on the front lines of living this alongside of people. I tell people all the time, this is not a formulaic book. I'm not trying to convince you of steps one, two, three in order to, to in order to discover God's purpose for your life. Um, if you're coming to me looking for answers, I'm just not your guy, right? Like, don't, don't read the book. It's not an answer book. I'm simply a guide. Heroes provide answers, but guides ask questions. And so that's what I attempt to do throughout the book. I just ask questions. What's your dream? Who is God calling you to be? What's the holy discontent stirring within you? now let's go on a journey and discover that t- together so I'm just the guy Jesus Christ is the hero of of the story
0: yeah no I love that man I, I, reading it was so so just moving because I think there were so many moments that I feel like the reflection and the space that you created um for the spirit just to 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 do work you know and I think that what's interesting is oftentimes when people write books you know they've they have been living it and they have been kind of like that, that was like almost in their rear view mirror. You know, oftentimes people say like you write a book for the person you once were, you know? And, and I, and it's like, this is who I once was. And, and you're writing to the people who are like a step or two behind you. What I love about this book and what I love about your life right now is like, I feel like this book was like you, you were writing it knowing that, Hey, something is shifting, you know? And we didn't know. We didn't know if you're going to be a lead pastor. We didn't know if you were gonna be like college pastor. We didn't know what that, but like you were writing it and you were like in asking these questions to you, but the embodiment of, of what God and the spirit has been doing to you. It's not like you're writing and wrote about who you once were. It's like, you're actually like embodying this message today um, in ways that I think um, make the writing just so deep and resonate in such a profound way. So I actually like love how these two have come together. Um, friends, y- you you should get this book. Like I, I think uh, it's one of those books too, that if you have like young leaders on your staff, you should like read it alongside them. Like for me, like I, I got a couple people in my life and, and we're just going to be like chopping through this book because I think it's, it, it has the, the real potential to, again, not, not just give answers, but see where the spirit and the conversation wants to go and where Jesus is leading. Um, Michael, what's your, what's your hope with Trailblazers? You know, if you, if you think back and you, you know, the crafting character, you, you've you got student pastors, you've got lead pastors, you've got, you know, women who are stepping into their voices, preachers and, and church planners. Like, but when you think about the, the, the dream, the hope of this book, it's a fantastic book. What, what, what's your, what's your hope?
1: Yeah, I've thought a lot about that question. Um, because it's a question that my wife Riley and I have been asking since I initially received the invitation to be able to write it. Like why, why say yes to an invitation like this, aside from it being just an an unbelievable invitation? Like what, why am I doing this? What is the real motivation behind it? And Riley and I have prayed almost every night since I began writing the book, Holy Spirit, would you simply put this work in the hands of anyone and everyone who needs it. And that's my hope for the book. I'm a first-time author. I don't really understand a lot of the politics or the the behind-the-scenes or the you know, bestseller lists or things like that of the publishing industry. And I've intentionally remained ignorant of it because I just have been saying, Holy Spirit, would you put this book in the hands of anyone and everyone who needs it? And success for me has been obedience to Jesus and doing what he's asked me to do. And so I just trust God with the rest, to be honest. And that's not me abdicating responsibility for how much I believe in this message, because I do. I believe it's a very, very helpful message for anyone who's wrestling with just the, the hard questions in life of why on earth am I here? What has God called me to do? Like This is 100% the book for you, but it's not up to me to convince you. I uh, Genuinely, I just hope the writing speaks for itself and that people, as they dive into it, that they start to just reawaken or awaken perhaps for the very first time to just the, the beautiful person made in God's image that they've been created to be. Um, and I hope that that's a, that's a message
0: and a stirring that just spreads all across, um, our country and our world. Mike, I love it. I think it's going to be a gift to so many people. Uh, but I do have to ask you this question. Um, I do have to ask you it's you know, you live in Hoosier land and, you know, IU basketball and, you know, Boiler Up, Purdue, and, you know, you got the Reggie Miller, you know, Indiana Pacers, you got Larry Legend, Larry Bird. Um, do people in Indiana, like, like the fact that you named your book after the Portland Trailblazers? Because <laughs> I know you're a hoop. I know you love to hoop, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just kidding. But like, um, But, like, in the sense of, like, basketball this is from a cultural standpoint like yeah is because i've always felt like indianapolis feels like a small city um inside that loop even though there's a lot of stuff there but it feels like a large city with like professional teams which makes it Mm -hmm. feel so much bigger but is um is basketball still hold the same kind of like cultural power that it's it, it did like when the movie Hoosiers came out, like in the eighties, is, is it still like, you know, French lick, Indiana, Larry Legend, like basketball and in Indiana go hand in hand. Or has it like, I don't know, kind of like maybe drifted a little bit. And the Colts now have more like um, kind of culture. Like I even think like the art scene in Indianapolis is like just grown, but like, is it, is it still a basketball state first and foremost?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, short answer is yes, it's still a basketball state. There are uh, an amazing amount of options of things to be able to do in Indianapolis. And and you're right, man. Like That's a lot of people when they think about Indianapolis, you know, it's nicknamed Naptown uh, yeah. because it's kind of like the sleepy city, right? But uh, people do sleep on Indianapolis. It's actually the 13th largest city in the country. There's over 2 million people in the metro area um, and but it still feels like a small town and you can find parking downtown and you can walk at night and feel like for the most part safe. Like there's like, it's just a, it's a really cool mix of uh small town feel, but big city vibes as well with all the sports teams. But when it comes to basketball, I mean, I would say, you know, it's not like it is different um, from the standpoint of like, you know, when Steve Alford was in high school back whenever that was like that, gyms were packed with like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And I think that probably was like the Mecca point of of basketball in the state. I think it has shifted a little bit, but, you know, you talk about, um, I remember when I was in middle school going to watch Eric Gordon play at North Central High School and Michael Jordan's kids came to town and Michael Jordan was there to watch his sons play. And that was bananas like that was just a wild wild scene I think about a couple years ago Romeo Langford when he was in high school before he went to go play at IU like there there was some buzz there again of like these gyms just being packed out and so I would say every once in a while now there's a player who kind of stirs that up Um, right now there's a kid up at Kokomo High School Flory Badunga who I think he just committed to Kansas maybe I could be wrong about that but he's one of like the top five players in the country um, this year and so anyone he goes my brother got to play him in high school a couple times and anywhere he goes gyms are just packed out so um yeah man i, I really the high school scene still is like you're not gonna fight fu- i played high school ball in tennessee and i loved my experience it was great but it was not indiana basketball yeah, there's yeah, no doubt yeah. about that so yeah
0: uh, that's so amazing man well michael where where can people find you um and where can they learn more about um sanctuary indy
1: yeah, for sure. Um, so sanctuaries on Instagram, Sanctuary Indy, um, www.sanctuaryindy.com. We post our teachings on YouTube and Apple podcasts. If you ever want to go check those out. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as well at Mikey E.
0: Davis, at www.mikeydavis.com. I love it, man. Well, Mike, you know, I love you, bro. I'm so proud of you. And um, I, you know, the fact that you um, married um, Riley, who is just a salt of the earth, Michigan fan. I just absolutely <laughs> adore her. Um, but I uh, I just, man, I, I just want you to know, like, there's a bunch of us that are praying for you and your team. You you have really, I feel like, convened an incredible squad. And it's going to be fun to watch. And um, just, again, just delighted to see you stepping into more and more of who God has always been kind of made you to be. And, um, man, I hope that you will just continue to just delight in God using you. But I also, like, I think so much time when people are planting and writing, there's just so much stress. I hope that, like, you'll just have those moments on those prayer walks where you can experience, you know, that Zephaniah 317, you know, God with you, mighty to save because he delights in you. You could hear heaven's melody singing over you, the neighborhood, um, and over, like, what God is inviting you to do. And, um, but just deep down, bro, proud of you. And, uh, yeah, many blessings, man. And, uh, thanks for, thanks for like, coming in and just chopping and, and sharing vulnerably about just like the the process in these first few weeks of teaching and I know that many people are going to tune in and watch and and learn from you man you're an absolute gift and um to everyone else man thanks for tuning in the crafting character podcast uh we couldn't do this without you we couldn't do this without our amazing sponsors at preaching today and food for the hungry and if there's ever any ways that we can serve you please don't hesitate to reach out my email steve it's steveryancarter.com and with that my friends man, consecration, what a, what a word and, uh, holiness and exegeting your city. And just pray that maybe even the words from Micah might inspire you to, to look up and maybe ask yourself, what are you nazaring? What are you, what are you kind of like attaching yourself to? And, that isn't Jesus, and isn't the kingdom, and uh, maybe, maybe for all of us, that's that's a word for us to to really wrestle with in our time with the Lord. So, much love, my friends, grace and peace, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks on the next episode of the Crafting Character podcast.